uh, let's try yeah, that again. Try that again. All right. Yep. <clears throat> Little bit of lead. Hello and uh, do what? Damn it, <laughs> fucker! <laughs> God damn it! All right. Three, two, one. Hello and welcome to the Watcher's Guide to the Marvel Universe, the show my mom calls "It's Funny, but you have to curse so much." Uh, <laughs> I'm Max. And I'm JR. How's it going? Oh, it goes. Not a whole lot to report this week. Uh, how are you feeling? Good. Uh, I I restarted because I'd run out of some uh, psych meds and I restarted them. So I'm feeling really strung out. Uh, they just yeah. they make me really tired. So How's your face? Yeah. My face is fine. Yeah. Uh, my nose is still a little red and kind of kind of touchy. Uh, like there will be times where I'll like go to scratch my nose and I'll hit it in such a way that it's just like nope, don't like that. <laughs> but uh, generally, generally it's fine. Uh, so yeah, well, that's I'm good. still I'm still taking the uh, the drugs they gave me because <coughs> I don't want it to come roaring back. Sure. But, no, you when they give you antibiotics, you take all the antibiotics. Well, the... Or are they the, antivirals? Uh, I forget. <laughs> um, the the thing about it was they actually gave me steroids and something else. Yeah. I don't think there were any antibiotics. But uh, I finished the steroids and the other one I'm just like, I'll just keep going to be safe. Um, oh, yeah. But whatever. No, take all the drugs. Yeah. All of them. Forever. I mean... Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, news. Uh, couple relatively minor things, and then, uh, but yeah. So uh, first of all, John Byrne is writing and drawing his own X Men comic that he is releasing through the fan fiction section of his forum. Uh, I, I don't know how I feel about calling that fan fiction because he's an established creator who's worked on X-Men uh, and so forth. But apparently there were there were people like asking if Marvel was going to publish it. And, you know, there was a lot of like, oh, well, maybe they maybe they will blah, blah, blah. But John Byrne is just like, no, that's not happening. And he refuses to, like, get into the specifics. But he's pretty effectively said no to that happening. But whatever. I mean, I don't really care because John Byrne at this point, it's just like, fuck him. Yeah, uh, I was kind of trying to figure out, like, what do I know him from? And it's, well, okay, Dark Phoenix. So is he writing it too? Oh. He's writing and drawing it. Okay. Uh, you also know him from Hellboy, because he helped launch Hellboy with Mike Mignola. Okay. Uh, in fact, the first appearance Hellboy ever had, outside of convention-exclusive things, was John Byrne's Next Men. Um, so, yeah. But anyway. Um, but yeah, he is he is an incredibly divisive person who has a tendency to shoot his mouth off. And uh, so I generally, it's whatever. Uh, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Agents of Atlas is coming in August, which is a 
book that's going to be gathering basically every Asian character Marvel has. Uh, there are, there are of course like Jimmy Woo, uh, who if you if you've never encountered the character in the comics, he did appear a couple of times in the uh, classic Nick Fury Agent of Shield stories. Uh, he also he shows up again and again they'll occasionally relaunch agents of atlas and he'll be in it uh but if you only if your main experience with uh marvel is the marvel cinematic universe he was agent park in and or sorry he was agent Wu, uh played by randall park in oh. ant-man and the wasp right but uh he's going to be heading it up of course uh, and then it's going to have like Silk from Amazing Spider-Man, um, Shang-Chi, uh, a couple of characters that were introduced in Marvel's mobile game Future Fight, as well as some characters that are Asia exclusive, uh, things like that. So, yeah, um, I... I mention this not because it's necessarily a yay diversity thing, though yay diversity. Yeah. Uh, but also, like, if you're, if you are Asian and you would like to see more Asian characters, this might be a good chance to be exposed to a few you may not have been aware of, because, like I said, some of them are exclusive to the Asian continent uh, and haven't appeared in U.S. comic books before, so. Uh, might be worth checking out. Uh, also in August is Marvel 1000, which is a celebration of the uh, 80th anniversary of Marvel. Um, it is... So it's picking up a story thread from the original Marvel Comics number one back in 1939. Uh, and... So it's 80 pages, and every page is going to be done by a different creative team. Uh, I think, let's see, I saw that Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale are supposed to be doing a page. Uh, you know, all kinds of people just uh, left, right, and center. One, one I didn't understand. So they had, I guess, uh, Lord and... Lord and Miller are going to be doing a page uh, of Lego Movie, 21 Jump Street, yada, 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 um, into the Spider-Verse. Uh, but Taboo from the Black Eyed Peas is going to be doing a page, apparently. And if, like me, you don't know who Taboo is, he's one of the other two member the two superfluous members of the black eyed peas uh as the i've one. always called them it's will i am fergie not will i am and not will i am <laughs> uh he's one of those two uh but yeah so <laughs> this this sound uh, like if they can really keep things focused this sounds like it could be really cool but it also sounds like it could be a complete clusterfuck um, I mean, I'm looking at the names, and the ones that jump out at me, it's pretty good. I'm okay with. 
Like, yeah. you know, Busick and Taconic, and I saw Zardke- Zardsky's there, and uh, Jim Zub, who... I don't know. I think I like Jim Zub. Um, <laughs> okay. I haven't really decided. I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but he's the guy that wrote the uh, Rick and Morty versus D&D, and... Okay. He, or no, he drew it with Rothfuss, I okay. think. And then, but he also he was on the Descent D and D stream as well. But he seems cool. Uh, I don't know. I you know, this all looks good. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't no, have anything bad here. Like, like I said, it's 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 not about the level of talent necessarily. It's about the fact that you're literally going to have eighty different teams doing eighty different pages. All of which are supposed to equal a cohesive story. Oh, but... Uh, which, but you Kareem know. Abdul-Jabbar. Really? Yes. I did not see that. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, the, the article I saw said that um, they have kept track of anyone who has mentioned Marvel, uh, you know, for stuff like this. And so that's how you wound up with some really interesting choices. I feel like there's enough creators. You probably could have filled the whole thing with people who have actually worked on the books. <laughs> are actually their job, or at least have been in the room while a comic book was being created. But whatever. I mean, fuck it, right? Well, uh, didn't Kareem Abdul-Jabbar get? No, that was Kobe. Sorry. What? I I thought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was also involved in a. Uh, animation of some sort. Maybe I'm making that up. I'm gonna okay. Google it. Well, anyway, uh, the last the last bit of news I I can't help but laugh at. Um, so C. B. Sibulski, uh, who is now Marvel's editor in chief, um, has said that or said recently that uh, they are not going to be killing off characters for shock value any longer. Uh, what he specifically said was, quote, I don't want death to be used to boost sales or to use as a shock value so people go, oh, my God, Johnny Storm is dead or Wolverine is dead, knowing that they're going to be coming back. If we choose to do it now, we're going to add a little more weight and permanence to the situation, unquote. Now, I've heard this before. I mean, Joe Cazada had the had the rule for like a minute in the 2000s. Where it was just like, yeah, we're not killing people off anymore, and then they killed off Psylocke and uh, and uh, Colossus, and it was like, yeah, now they're staying dead. Sorry, and then it was just like, just kidding, they're both back. Yeah, now they're staying dead. No, no they're not. Like, no. not those two. Like, there are a lot of characters I think you could get away with killing. And being like, nope, they're staying dead for the next 50 years. I don't care what anyone says. You can't have them. And then I'd be like, okay. But those two, no. No, no. They're dead for two years, three years at most. Wolverine stayed dead for the longest anyone probably thought he actually would. Because he was dead for three years. I was surprised how long Wolverine stayed dead. I was surprised how long Jean Grey actually stayed dead. Yeah, Uh, well, Jean's her own problem but you know yeah i mean it's one of those things like the 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 
thing had always been like there are three characters that won't come back from the dead Bucky Gwen Stacy and Uncle Ben and uh, now it's two characters <laughs> um, but whatever right because fuck it but uh, anyway All right. I just like I said I don't I don't take that uh, seriously <coughs> because whatever um, anyway comics yeah uh, quick news we this week Let's do comics. Do what? I said, yeah, quick news this week. Let's do comics. Yeah. Uh, Master of Kung Fu, number 28, written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Ron Wilson, Ed Hannigan, and Aubrey Bradford, inked by Sal Trapani, colored by Phil Rachelson, and lettered by Artie Simic. Uh, we start with Shang-Chi hanging out in, our, in an arcade in Times Square. Proving that there is nothing that uh, Shang-Chi cannot soliloquize about. Uh, it's the goofiest thing. And yeah, I, like, he, I understand like what they're trying to do, which is like, even in this place, he can be contemplative, even with all the noise. And it's like, okay, fine, still, this is dumb. And well, I mean, I get that they're tying it into the end. And oh, it, yeah, absolutely. But, it but yeah. Uh, but I'm just like, the way it comes across when you're first reading it is just like, dude, not everything has to be analyzed. Just like, go play around a Street Fighter. Who gives a shit? Yeah, um, I'm fine. You can just but, do whatever uh, you want, man. But so Blackjack Tar and this random dude, Clive Reston, show up and they're like, Sir Dennis has been kidnapped, and, um... Can I just say, real quick, that I hate everything about Blackjack Tar? Yeah. He is, not yeah. only is he a stereotype in and of himself, but he's also, like, a racist. So, it's real difficult to read most of the shit that comes out of his mouth. So then, yeah. when he ends up getting... It's not even fun when, like... At, so, skipping forward, but I, just to make my point, but it's not even fun when, like, okay, so sh they get to the airport, Shang-Chi disappears, then they burst in after all the shit's finished, and they're like, ready to go, and Shang-Chi's like, no, I'm just, we're, we're good, we can yeah. leave, and he's like, wow, after all this time, it's just like, dude, I don't, fuck yeah, you, you can go to hell. He's not, even seeing him get like ridiculed and receive his comeuppance for being a prick uh it's not fun yeah. it's just it's a racist asshole and i and i know this is tangential but i just can't say his name without like mentally adding heroin on the end <laughs> um but anyway so they're like yeah he was kidnapped and there was this bamboo tube there so Shang Chi opens the bamboo tube because apparently no one thought of that. Well, uh, it, like he says, it's one of the 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 bozo that's with them. I don't know. I can't remember this guy's name. Clive. Yeah, it's like oh, I could figure. You know, it's it's hollow. This is all we found. And Shang Chi takes it from him. And it's like no, it's not, you idiot. And just cracks it where there's a tiny seam that apparently only his sensitive eyes can see. And. Inside, there's a note from 
or inside there's a note that just says Shang-Chi, we will talk under the tree where a little spirit was was slowly shaped. And he has a flashback about being at his dad's, one of his dad's fortresses where he comes into a room. I love, the, the thing, the best part is that he comes into a room and he's just like, Father, well, uh, you summoned me. And Fu Manchu's like, yep, uh, one you have met before is waiting for you in the courtyard. And he's like, what? Mm-hmm. And he just leaves. And I'm like, "Yeah, you're a bad villain, man. Like, you know <laughs> that she's plotting against you. <laughs> like, she's looking forward to plotting against you. And you're just going to leave these two alone? What is wrong yeah. with you? All right. Uh, uh, that, that, um... That is, uh, I've heard it described as an idiot plot, which is a plot that only works if everyone involved is a fucking idiot. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I know that it's supposed yeah. to be like Fu Manchu's BDE, that he could just, th- this is fine, go ahead, plot, I can handle it. And it's still, yeah. though, like, no, don't, no. Anyway, so... He and his sister talk about how things are shaped, either by nature or by man, and which one do you want to be? Because uh, one is inherently evil and the other one isn't. Um, and then she leaves. And he figures out, oh, okay, this must be... And they're sitting under a tree talking about another tree. It's trees all the way down. And well, he... <laughs> so the the premise of this... Is she shows him a bonsai tree yeah. that is shaped to look like the tree behind them. And she's like, one was shaped by nature, one was shaped by man, which is more beautiful. And Shang-Chi's like, well, they both have it. I mean, like, on the one hand, you know, beauty comes from the natural curve of the bark and the age of the tree and yada, yada, yada. But by the same token, it takes skill to mold a bonsai like that. And she's like, well, it's kind of like you. Uh, uh, slightly lumpy segue um, and she's just like you know you can choose to be shaped by your nature or by the people around you and blah 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 who cares um, but she's like someday you may be called the pawn to wield your choice um, so they arrive in China and Reston and Tar get off the plane and Tar is like, you know, I love that Tar can basically just talk to empty air and not realize it. Uh, but yeah, because as soon he, as they get out, like Reston, the two white dudes get out of the plane and they're talking about how, you know, okay, it's China. The political situation is delicate. We have to be careful and you know try to keep our noses down. And he, they're just walking on the tarmac toward the airport and just staring straight ahead. Shang Chi comes out of the plane. Goes up and over the back of it and is gone. And then they turn around and they're like, oh no! Yeah. And so he he breaks in. Do what? No, go ahead. He breaks into the. He breaks into the fortress, which is like a Uh, really cool kind of Assassin's Creed sort of moment. Because, you know, he's running up trees and he finds the tallest branch that he can that actually goes toward a parapet. And slams through a window and comes down and is immediately beset by dudes. Uh, and then yeah. we get to, like, what is the best part of all 
Master of Kung Fu books, which is he proceeds to kick ass. Um, oh yeah, this just, uh, this entire thing is just him. I mean, he he wrecks shop on right. the sea fan here, um, and so uh, his sister he, is there in this her father's or their father's fortress. Like she's taken it over because she still has the ruby eyes of the whatever from the last arc and or i guess this is the end of that arc and she she's like nope i control half almost half of the sea fan now uh and i'm making a run at dad do you want in and he's like no and she's like yeah and they kind of have a mirroring of that conversation back when they were younger uh and she's he's like no i can't She's I well I like I like the way he actually like he says I cannot now choose between two forms of the same evil. Right. Which is a really cool response. I mean, you know, <laughs> me I'd just be like no, fuck you. <laughs> but he's just like really contemplative about it. Uh but yeah, so she orders the sea fan to kill him. Um at which point we are reintroduced to this dude, Shadow Stalker, who, you know, it's like, it's really hard to, to talk about this. You know, it's like, it's hard to separate the narrative from like so many of the stereotypes that are going on. Right. And then out of nowhere, it'll just be like, Here's an Asian guy with like bright yellow skin. And you're just like, oh, fuck. But Shadow Stalker has bright yellow skin and he's got like flails uh, braided into his hair, which is just the dumbest fucking thing. It's yeah, and it's a it's a it's a double ended morning star. Yeah. Not a, is it a morning star with the chain? Well, it's the it, uh, yeah. Into his top knot. It's just, yeah. how do you use that without tearing your scalp off? Well, or, like, they appear to have a chain. Yeah. So, like, it seems like you'd constantly be having them bang into your head, but whatever, man. <laughs> like, it's your dopey costume. But uh, he immediately is just like, yeah, I'm not fighting you. And shang Chi's like, what? And uh, so Shadow Stalker teams up with Shang-Chi to uh to battle the sea fan and uh at one point uh there is a moment wherein shang chi is like moving at follow su who is just watching the whole thing and and nearly hits her but she doesn't move at all uh, which seems kind of whatever, but it plays a part. So bear with me. Yeah. So he and Shadow Stalker deal with the sea fan. Uh, Follow Sue escapes, and Shadow Stalker is just like, you know, together there's no one we couldn't beat. We should get together and like take out your dad and Follow Sue and. Uh, then we'll you know, be. rule the whole thing together. Yeah, then and we'll be. Shang Chi's, sorry. Go ahead. And Shang Chi's just like, uh, no. <laughs> and uh, 
So Shadowstalker's like, all right, um, Smith is down in the dungeons. Uh, the next time we meet, this may be a different story. And Shang-Chi is like, for what it's worth, I will meet you in the same spirit that you meet me. Um, and everything. So he goes down and he busts the door to Smith's cell down. At which point, as we said, Tar and Reston arrive and they're just like, ah, fight! And they're just like, no, everything's fine. Um, <laughs> yeah, we went through all the trouble of getting these guns in China that we definitely shouldn't have been able to get a hold of. <laughs> right. <laughs> and busted, carry them across country and busted to a fortress that, and I, I assume they met no resistance on the way up. Uh, and they're like, oh, you're, you're already out. Okay. Yeah. Shit. We're in so, so much trouble. We have to get out of here now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but Shang Chi reveals that during the fight, he took the ruby. They're now necklaces. They were the eyes of the beetle, uh, and he smashes them into dust. And it's here that the whole penny arcade thing from the beginning of the issue ties in. Because he's like, I have learned that this fortress is much like the arcade, a place of games I do not understand. Blah. Catharsis. Whatever. Okay. Moving on. So, like, no, I kind of want to talk about this. Because okay. as, a, as a story, the beginning and end suck. The fact that we're done with the sea, like the the eyes of the ruby, whatever, I'm super happy. But that that's finished, which is not exactly a good thing, as far as the story goes. And then, yeah, it was really wrapped up in uh, like a. Yeah, this is done. Goddamn. So I'm <laughs> I'm looking forward to it being not this story and trying to figure out what that does or what that looks like. Master of Kung Fu has really kind of grabbed me in a way that I'm just like, I don't know why I kind of like this. Because there's so much terrible stereotyping in it that is, holy shit, difficult to get get past. But once you do that and you kind of, you try to just, especially Shang-Chi himself, he's... I was going to say, Shang-Chi is the major, the rest of it, like all of the stuff that they took from the pulp novels, I'm I'm perfectly willing to do without. And that's why if they're doing a Shang-Chi movie, I'm on board simply because you get Shang-Chi without all the bullshit. Yeah. Um, and I bet, you know, I'm hoping anyway, that going forward from here, like they, that it gets better with the stereotype bullshit. Um, mm. And they start excising some of it. But I don't know. I'm looking forward to it. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to being able to just unabashedly enjoy Master of Kung Fu instead of being like, well, like there yeah. being an asterisk on it. Like, yeah. I enjoy Shang-Chi, but only but... if you strip out everything that's like <laughs> really offensive. Like, yeah, so... But I guess like they tease they tease a new direction in the next issue, uh, so I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, exactly. All so, right. So 
speaking of pointless issues, uh, Captain America number 192, uh, written by Marv Wolfman, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by D. Bruce Berry, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by Joe Rosen. I will say, the yeah. one thing about this issue is that apparently it is low-key the first appearance of Carla Sofen, who becomes Moonstone. Okay. Uh, she's only ever referred to as Carla in this issue, so I didn't realize it when I was reading it. But uh, as I was going through and making my notes for this week, I happened across that, and I'm like, oh! Um, the thing I yeah. was going to say about this, we don't talk about the art probably enough anymore and the art in this is shit real weird it's like i really didn't like it it's almost uh, like they did a they let they were trying to go for like a lean claire kind of thing and didn't hit that at all some of it's cool like the very first page is a splash of steve walking toward the airport and there's Steve himself is not well drawn, but the uh, but the the Captain America kind of like silhouette behind him is, um, I don't know, it's weird. The, the rest of the but thing, like the panels are not great. The the thing that kind of strikes me is I feel like this is a filler issue, and that Frank Robbins kind of drew it on the fly. Sure, because Frank Robbins also does the art in Fear this week. And I'm not going to say Frank Robbins is great, but he does better than this. Right. Um, And so, yeah, like this issue kind of this issue kind of feels like we have Steve here. We need to move him to here so Jack can Jack Kirby can start his uh, run next issue. Um, And so just get us there. And that's, it just kind of feels like this was thrown together to fill a spot. Um, But whatever. So Steve arrives at the airport in L.A. uh, trying to get back to New York as quickly as possible. Uh, All of the commercial flights are going to be way too long. Uh, So he finds out that there's a chartered flight that is getting ready to leave. He uh, bolts down to the gate, uses his shield ID to uh, to get himself on board. When he when he does, he discovers that so there's a woman, Carla, who yeah, uh, who is taking everyone's weapons, uh, and he's like, "Yeah, I don't I don't need a gun," and she's just like. Okay, well, take your seat. At which point he takes a seat next to do the, this dude, Heels, who wears these big fucking, like, platform shoes. Uh, and Heels is just like, yeah, I, I gave him my shoulder piece, but I always keep an extra one in my in the heels of my shoes. Yeah. Uh, and see it? Do you see what I did there? And it's yeah. like, yeah, dude, we did. And Steve's just like, great. And he's like, where's your piece? And he's like, I don't need to carry one. And the guy's like, ah, I like you. You're cocky. Yeah, um, and he's also, like, giving him shit for not wearing sunglasses. 
Because everybody on the plane is wearing sunglasses. Because yeah. this is the 70s, and that's how you mark yourself as a gangster. Is yeah. sunglasses, big suit, gun. Um, yeah. And so he... So they're all clearly gangsters. Carla herself was strapped in two bandoliers and toting, and toting weapons as well. <laughs> it was uh, yeah. the most ridiculous thing. You had... Again, this is the this is the kind of thing that only works if everyone involved is a complete dummy, because yeah. um, it's like Steve. Uh, this is a plane full of criminals. Steve, mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Steve, yeah. okay. And it isn't until halfway through the flight, or not even halfway through, just after they take off and reach altitude, Faust comes down the stairs and is like, okay. Now we're going to do... Faustus comes down the stairs and is like, Okay, now we're going to do some crime. And uh, let's plan some crimes. Yeah, and it's at this point that Cap is just like, Oh no, Steve, what have you gotten yourself into? And you're just kind of like, What? I I mean, I should be having way more fun with this issue because it's so dumb. But I was really just like, okay, 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 let's go. Yeah, yeah, it uh, is. So he uh, goes the to the other... bathroom, changes into the Captain America garb, which I guess he had the shield strapped to his back the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, beats up, beats up some dudes. Heels goes to take a shot at him. Uh, but one of the other gangsters is like, are you an idiot? We're in a plane at altitude. No. And he's yeah. like, oh, okay. And he puts his gun away. Uh, f- they eventually take him down and Faustus... Like, Faustus' whole plan is that they're going to use these weird guns that make you super complacent to convince the entire populace of New York to uh, stand aside while they take all their stuff. Yeah, um, it's really dumb. It's not a great plan. Steve ends up getting, like, winged by one of the rays. Uh, so it kind of makes him drowsy for a while. He essentially plays dead. Waits until they're all, I guess, anticipatory of the coming crimes. And uh, as soon as they're distracted, he busts out of his... Uh, seat. Yeah, seat. And uh, punches Faustus in the face. And finally Heels gets pissed off. Takes a different gun that he had in his hat. I hate Heels. And <laughs> fi- <laughs> shoots at Cap, miss- or shoots at Cap, hits the shield. Ricochet goes through one of the windows. Explosive decompression. Faustus goes straight out. yeah like he just he gets blown out and you see him like (laughs) sailing past the plane (laughs) and like you know we were joking last week about and then some bullshit happens i have no idea how that's gonna happen here (laughs) like not only did he get sucked out like did the did planes have jets on the back of them at that point because it it was a jet plane but i don't think they were under the they were under the wings, not on the tail, and I think they were far enough back that he didn't go through one of the engines. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> so uh, the uh, the plane starts to go down, 
uh, because apparently the pilot passed out in all of this. And Cap's like, I'm your best bet to get back on the ground. And the criminals are all just like, all right. <laughs> like, so Cap goes and takes the, uh, takes the stick and radios the tower. And he's just like, this is flight 911. Do you read? Flight 911. And so when they land, the cops are there. And he's like, thank God you understood my my complicated code. And it's just like, are you fucking kidding me? I was um, worried you wouldn't understand and call the cop and not call the cops. And it's like, no, we there's no flight 911. There's never a flight 911. This is why there's not a flight 911. We know. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, you didn't think of this, Cap. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Whatever, man. All right. Uh, just Thank a God terrible that's fucking over. issue. Those two were... Maybe the worst of the week? Actually, I'm going to hold on to that. <laughs> I'm really going to have to hold on to that one. All right, moving on. Uh, so next we have Marvel premiere number 23, written by Chris Claremont, penciled by Pat Broderick, inked by Bob McCloud, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and lettered by Karen Mantlow and Gaspar Saladino. Uh, Chris is is really excited to show us this new character he created this week, uh, because he shows up twice (laughs) in the reading this week. Um... So Danny and Colleen are walking along in Central Park and it's just like, well, now that your lifelong quest for vengeance is over, (laughs) what are you going to do? And he's just like, I don't know. It was lifelong. And uh, (laughs) turns and he's like, yeah, I don't know. And she's like, well, you're also rich. So I guess you got that taken care of. And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. Man, I really don't know. Yeah. And so... Uh, fortunately, this scintillating conversation is interrupted when a sniper starts blasting people. Um, several people are shot. There's a lone kid out in the middle of the killing field. Uh, yeah, this kid and, doing, a, doing a Batman. Yeah, because his, his parents are now laying dead. He's crying. Um, it's a pity Nighthawk has already in, been introduced because this would be a great way. Oh, yeah. But uh, so. <sighs> you know, I hate the, it when you go to Central Park and have a Batman. Yeah. Um, um, but so a cop goes out to try and save the kid and he's gunned down. Danny then does the same thing, but he manages to save the kid. Uh, he makes his way to the building where the sniper is. Colleen does the same. Um, well, but like this sniper is not the sniper is go- using a Gauss gun because at one point more cops show up and he sh- the sniper shoots the car and it explodes. So yeah. he's firing tungsten rounds. Like I yeah. don't. I, yeah, it's bad. Yeah, they make it to um, the bu- building. Uh, and we should say like anytime we switch to the sniper's point of view it's very vietnam i guess is it's affected that way so the 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 idea here is that this guy is clearly insane and ptsd and yeah not in a 
well-handled way, uh, but that he still thinks he's in the war. Um, yeah. Um, and so they, Danny is angry that Colleen followed him in. Colleen's like, fuck you, I can handle myself. Uh, then they meet Warhawk, uh, which my only my only exposure to Warhawk prior to this was when he showed up in X-Men because um, he's like hired by the Hellfire Club to test the X-Men's defenses or whatever. Uh, that's the only exposure I'd ever had to the character, which is weird like I've read a lot of the Claremont X-Men run uh, at some point I've read all of it and I know I have it's it's really weird that Chris Claremont was so excited about this character and never brought him back like I I don't recall ever seeing him again but whatever um, <clears throat> so uh, Warhawk is clearly off his nut and uh he kicks the shit out of Danny and takes Colleen prisoner. Uh, Iron Fist wakes up and Lee, Lee, Colleen's dad, is there. And he's got a friend from the NYPD whose name is Lieutenant Raphael Scarfi. Uh, and uh, this is when Danny finds out Colleen's been taken. There's a brief vignette as Danny is tracking Warhawk down. Wherein... You know who this is? Okay. Uh, this is the guy. Lieutenant Scarfy was Colleen's... Or no. Uh, shit. In the show, I don't remember which show. In one, in one of the Netflix shows, he's the... He's partners with... Uh, He's her first partner. Why can't I come up with her name? Misty. Misty. He's Misty's partner who okay. betrays them. Anyway, yeah. I just realized that. I missed it the first time through. Okay. Anyway. Um, so, the uh, the upshot of all of this. Oh, yeah. He was played by uh, Frank Whaley. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Okay. Um, good call. So as Danny is tracking down Warhawk, he has a, a flashback to, uh, to, uh, Kunlun where he, his, he had a locket that's like the last memento of his mom that was stolen by the other kids. And he had to go through a maze to find it, and they were all waiting to kick the kick his ass for being, you know, the white savior. And uh, so he, instead of going through the maze, he climbs this this cliff um, where he he starts to succumb to frostbite or something. But he's just like, no, and keeps going, and. Uh, gets the locket back but all the kids are pissed at him because they didn't have a chance to beat his ass whatever uh but he finds the warehouse that warhawk is hiding out in uh and he gets as he's making his way in we find out warhawk in his psychosis has decided that colleen is his wife uh 
I guess later on you find out like his the village he and his wife were living in in Vietnam was bombed and his wife died. Uh, so whatever. But uh, and I guess I guess Warhawk is um, also a creation of Dr. Bernstein that created Luke Cage. It was the it was the same process trying to find the the super soldier serum that caused Warhawk and then later caused Cage. Whatever. Uh, but Warhawk has like stony skin and bones and blah blah blah. Uh, but anyway, they fight and uh, Danny winds up using the Iron Fist. Uh, Warhawk winds up uh, tossed into the waters of the Hudson and Iron Fist tries to save him, but Warhawk is just like, no, if I get captured by the Viet Cong, I'll be paraded around as a prisoner of war and refuses to take Danny's hand and disappears into the water. But he shows up again later this week. So whatever. <sighs> All right. Um, and then we get into a run of fear, uh, which, you know, okay. Fear number 27 is uh, written by Doug Minch, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by Leonard Starr, and colored by Janice Cohen, and lettered by Charlotte Jetter and Gaspar Saladino. Um, Martine brings Morbius to this old mansion she's rented, where he'll be able to continue his work. Uh, And she's like, oh, hey, by the way, I got some plasma... Uh, for you in case you get some cravings we find out that the plasma is stolen though uh which somehow the cia gets involved with like yeah it's real real loose there's a there's definitely a disconnect because they never explain why the cia is just like missing plasma stolen from a blood bank you say like what the reason he's it's involved is because i guess over in uh man wolf werewolf by night yeah yeah there was he's this been, guy he, he's, sorry. It's this guy named uh oh crap i don't remember his simon his, stroud yeah uh, and he's he's been chasing werewolf by night or jack jack russell and I guess pursuing him for some reason, but also I don't know why the CIA would be involved in a man wolf. Uh, or well, also werewolf. like the CIA is supposed to handle stuff internationally. Like, oh yeah, no, it's actually it's, like illegal for them to operate in inside. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's FBI's what, domain. Uh, but whatever. Okay, so the CIA bring in this ex-CIA douchebag named Simon Stroud. Um, and they're just like vampires and he's just like what and they're like seriously vampires and he's like whatever man so he makes his way to boston uh meanwhile morbius is losing his shit because of the bloodlust um martine tries to get him to use the plasma and morbius is just like no Plasma is not good enough. I can't just drink it from a bottle. It has to be from a throat. Um, <laughs> I need it he, fresh from the well. Yeah, he nearly he nearly eats her, but then realizes 
what he's doing and takes off. Um, Stroud arrives in Boston and is talking to the Boston PD when uh, Morbius attacks this young woman. Uh, as he's feeding on her, he regains his sanity and uh, takes off. Stroud hears a scream, um, which we are led to believe is from the victim. Uh, but he races to the scene and discovers a different victim altogether who is dead. Um, so we flash forward three days. Stroud and this guy Warner are waiting at the graveside, the gravesite of the victim. Um, the gravediggers are getting ready to bury the guy and they're just like, get lost. They hop in the grave, drive a stake through the guy's chest and then uh, cover him up. So then Stroud pays a visit to the woman that Morbius attacked. Um, and she's like, you didn't go to, or he says, you didn't go to the hospital. You waited four days to file a police report. What the hell's going on? And she's like, well, you know, I was feeling a little weak initially, but then I ate some some meat and now I'm feeling better. And he's like, raw meat? And she's like, well, rarer than usual. And uh, yeah, uh, Morbius finally falls asleep back at the mansion uh, as Martine sits uh, watching him. And uh as Stroud is leaving the victim's apartment, he receives word that a farmer nearby uh, has lost a bunch of cattle who were attacked and drained of blood. Morbius wakes up and Martine is giving him an intravenous drip of plasma. He's like, no, I told you it has to be from a living person. Um... And she's like, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm trying to understand. Um, Stroud, meanwhile, he, uh, he's like, okay, it's clearly this Morbius asshole. So he pays a visit to a realtor who does not recognize a picture of uh, Michael Morbius, but he does recognize a picture of Martine. Um, <clears throat> so he directs him to the... Uh, mansion. Morbius is working in the lab, knocks over a thing of plasma, and he's just like, well, waste not, want not, so he starts <laughs> licking it up, at which point Stroud bursts in, and... Uh, he's carrying <laughs> a cross, and he's like, and he's just uh, crushing it in his face, and Morbius is like, what are you... You broke into my... What are you doing? Put that down. It kind of reminds me of... Uh, the very beginning of Shrek when the villagers are uh, coming after him and the dude like he's just like standing there and the villagers are all like and the guy comes out and he's like waving the torch at Shrek and Shrek just like licks his fingers and puts it out um it's the same sort of thing he's just like ha 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 cross cross cross." and Morbius is like put that down yeah. Stop that. It and does nothing. Does nothing. But they Stroud, have a bit of a to cuffs, his, tuffle. Yeah, go ahead. Well, to his be, to his credit, Stroud doesn't just go like, what did the cross work? What am I going to do? While Morbius rips open his throat. He, he recovers quickly and 
busts out a stake and Morbius is just like a stake is only good if it manages to strike somebody and he like grabs it and throws it out the window <laughs> so they fight and um there's a tussle uh and then Martine comes in like an idiot and uh Stroud threatens to kill her if Morbius does not surrender and Morbius is just like uh you're an asshole and he's like that may be but I have a gun at your girlfriend and Morbius is like uh so um Stroud tries to shoot Morbius. Martine knocks the gun off track or off aim. Yeah. Uh, so all he does is shoot Morbius in the side. Um, and so Morbius crashes through like the one unbroken window in this room um, and takes off. He gets away, yeah, we don't really find out yet. He gets away, uh, Stroud takes Martine, and is like, we're going back to the to the office, uh, and or to the PD, and he's got a car phone. The cops are calling him, and the reveal at the end is that the cops have actually captured one of the, tar- a different vampire, this one is being affected by the crosses and yeah that's that's the thing that's weird um it's totally different than morbius and here's the deal so this story blows all five issues of it suck and i hate it um but at this point i was thinking to myself okay maybe dracula like Maybe Morbius and Dracula are in the same town at the same time, and Dracula is better at this, right? And he's turning people. Okay. Yeah. So, well, real quick, what I will say is this vampire woman that they've apprehended uh, attacked somebody like 15 minutes before. Right. So Stroud is just like, huh, well, it couldn't have been Morbius. Um, He finds out that they've got the vampire in custody Stroud starts to head back Martine's going to be charged with obstructing justice Um, and he's like well you know it may be somebody that Morbius turned and Martine is like no Morbius Morbius's disease doesn't work that way he can't pass on the curse um which okay so the one thing i will say about these issues of fear is they're not great but at least it's morbius doing vampire shit instead of like as much morbius goes on weird adventures into space and shit there's still some of that in this uh, but at least yeah the it second is an two actual... issues are that <laughs> do what the second two issues are that well yeah but I mean, ultimately, most of this story is actually like, okay, this is a Morbius story, which is not something that was true of the last bunch of fear issues we read. It was literally, this could be any character at all, all. except for the issue with Blade, like it could have been literally anyone. Uh, in those issues, and it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Um, so, 
let's go ahead and take a break and we'll come back with some more of this crap. <laughs> do, 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 do. rolling shitholes um but no they're actually they're not too bad now um they're like upholstered and shit uh anyway moving on we're back uh we're back with fear number 28 which is inked by vince coletta and colored by don warfield and lettered by tom Morzakowski. we're just going to burn through these because who gives a shit uh yeah morbius crashes in a tree stroud and warner talk about how the mason house is haunted uh Stroud goes to uh, talk to Letitia Mason, who owned the house previously, uh, while Morbius follow, returns to the house and follows a vision of Martine through a door, through a wall, and into a weird city. Uh, so Stroud, uh, Letitia Mason talks about how there were these one-eyed spirits that spoke to her and said that something bad was coming and that, you know, they were trying to prevent it from happening. Um, <clears throat> Morbius is like flies into Martine's one eye uh, and then is in a realm of eyes where he fights these one eyed things. He kills all of them. As one of them is laying there dying, he's like, yeah, sorry, I didn't want to do that. Hell Eyes made us because we tried to stop his taking over your plane. Uh, but now I'm dead, so fuck it. And uh, so Morbius flies through an eye, and then he comes face to face to eye to eye to eye to eye to eye with Hell Eyes, the most creatively named villain ever. And the, uh, the, the, de the demon thing as it was dying is like, you have to fly through one of Hell Eye's eyes, but you have to pick the right one to kill him. Yeah. And you find out Hell Eye's is just, he's eyes from hell to breakfast. Like, he's yeah. just, he's just covered in them. And yeah. it's real frustrating. So, Hellize is about to crush him, so Morbius is like, well, I guess... Oh, he also tells him that if you pick one of the thousand eyes that isn't the correct one, you'll be catapulted into your own personal hell, and it's only hells... It's hells all the way down from there. Um, every time you escape one hell, you'll be in another hell, um, until you find the correct eye. Uh, but fortunately, that's not what happened. Otherwise, uh, we I was have to sit through that bullshit. I was literally gonna, you know, these these issues we acquired, which means I had to re read them on my PC. And if I was like, if it was really just gonna be hell eyes for the next century, I was just gonna toss my PC in the in the <laughs> in the parking lot. Um, I'd be I'd be doing this show alone. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just text you. Uh, by the way, I'm I'm done. Hell, <laughs> Hell eyes broke me. I can't I can't do this. Uh, yeah. He picks an eye because Hell eyes is about to crush him and ends up in this ocean of blood. Right. Well, that that's the beginning of the next issue. Okay. Uh, the end of this is he goes through the eye. Uh, Stroud does come into the Mason house, finds Morbius fighting with air. Uh, then Morbius disappears, Stroud follows, um, and that's the last we see of Stroud this issue, then the whole flying into the eye, whatever. 
Uh, Fear number 29 is written by Bill Mantlow, penciled by Don Heck, inked by Bob McLeod, colored by Petra Goldberg, and lettered by Karen Mantlow and Gaspar Saladino. <laughs> oh, they dragged poor, Heck, poor Don Heck into this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the one the one bright spot in this issue is there is a, is a hostess ad featuring uh, Captain Marvel yeah. and Nitro, which at this point in time probably seemed like something fairly innocuous. But <laughs> in retrospect, Nitro had only shown up once prior to this. And in that, in that appearance, he had ruptured a, can- a canister of this chemical agent, which Marvell was then exposed to, which, as we find out way down the line gave him cancer and so reading this now it all seems light and fluffy but i'm just sitting there reading it reading it going even now the tumor is growing <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so uh morbius comes to in a sea of blood swims to this island stroud is there they face off whatever but morbius is just like look we're stuck here, hell eyes, and blah, blah, blah. And Stroud is like, oh my god, I remember. Uh, so they make their way through this forest, find what appears to be a temple to hell eyes. They encounter hell eyes a couple of times, and both times Stroud straight up shoots him. And hell eyes is just like, eh, whatever, and appears again. Um, hell eyes gives them shit. They fight a bit, but then, like, Morbius winds up seeing a reflection of himself in one of Halai's eyes, and he decides that's the one he needs to go through. So he does, at which point he and Stroud are returned. So that somehow killed Halai's? I I don't know. This entire thing is bullshit. Well, and it was... uh, It was... I found the eye that freed us. It was one eye, but not... E-Y-E I The letter I Guys Blah 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 Guys Morbius sucks Yeah Alright Fear number 30 Penciled by George Evans Inked by Frank Springer Colored by Phil Rachelson And lettered by Karen Mantlow Uh, Morbius and Stroud fight a house full of vampires Who cares The vampire at the police station gets loose And kills Warner Um and goes on just like uh, a feeding frenzy. This is the worst Morbius part of the Hell Eyes bullshit. Like the Hell Eyes tangent is like, I forgot that I was kind of interested in maybe thinking it was Dracula. Like yeah. by the time we get back to the house full of, of vampires, I'm like, oh, wait, what was happening? Like if and you in the course of this, like all of the vampires that die, like burst into flame. Yeah, they dissolve. Uh, which... And they ca- they capture one who they take back to the police station, but he winds up bursting into flame at one point. Uh, they get there. Martine has been turned into a vampire. Blah. Uh, Fear number 31, penciled by Frank Robbins, inked by Vince Coletta, lettered by Karen Mantlow and Gaspar Saladino. There's a whole big thing. They, they fi- fight Martine a bunch. We find out that these are actually all victims of Morbius and that he can actually transfer the curse and that the reason they keep bursting into flames is because uh, whatever 
is in Morbius's blood gives him an immunity to the radioactivity, but they that isn't passed along, so they have like a minimum shelf life or a maximum shelf life anyway. So it seems like that's like the easiest vampire infestation to deal with because it's just kind of like quarantine them and you're good. Yeah, um, you don't even have to go through that mental quandary of like, oh no, I have to kill my loved one. You just let it, you know, go. Yeah. It's fine. But, uh... You don't have to so, do it. Nature will take care yeah. of it for you. Morbius farts around in a lab for a minute and creates an antidote for Martine. Everybody else is fucked. Um, and, uh, he fights Martine and they both go slightly feral, so Stroud is actually the one who administers it. Martine is cured, but then Morbius is just like, grr, bloodlust, and feeds on her. Uh, but not all the way, because he's the good vampire. Uh, they take Martine to a hospital. She survives, and Morbius is just like, all right, I'm out. And that's it. That's the last issue of Fear, apparently. Uh, thank God. Fuck this. There's no more. Moving fe- on. There's no more fear at all after this. Yeah, this is the last issue of fear. Okay, that's good. I've yeah. never like you know a while ago when Sony announced that they were going to do a Morbius movie, and I guess they're still doing that. Yeah, no, they're doing that, and it's going to be Jared Leto, and that like before they had a cast, and it was Jared Leto, and I I was annoyed. Yeah, because I've never thought Morbius without Spider-Man is a good idea. It just doesn't work. Morbius with Spider-Man sort of works, but uh, it depends. Like, depends. The thing the... about it is, Morbius, Morbius in the seventies is one thing, because Morbius, like when it was, we've got to find a way around the comics code. Like, Morbius made sense. But once they were able to have actual vampires, Morbius kind of became redundant. Because this whole, like, self-loathing creature of the night thing has been done to death. And so, at this point, doing a Morbius story, especially without Spider-Man, is just basically... Uh, well, with me, I have to feed on people. And it's just kind of like bored now uh, yeah it's not fun at all because yeah. he's not fun at all and yeah i yeah all right moving on i mean at least you know at least uh watching something like angel you at least have like the uh the pithy joss whedon dialogue if sure. that's your thing right uh this just sounds painful so no thanks uh, have I told you I met Jared Leto briefly? <laughs> no. Yeah, I was uh, I was at a show in Columbia, and Thirty Seconds to Mars uh, was playing, but so was a band me and my friends gave a shit about. And uh, they don't get a plug. Do what? What was the band? It was a band called The Audition. Oh, um, I kind of remember them. So. Uh, we went and saw them and then left right after and went and got pizza. But as we were walking along, uh, we saw Jared Leto smoking outside of his bus and we were like, Hey man, you guys were great. 
I don't know if they'd already played or not. Maybe <laughs> they hadn't. But he was just like, thanks. And I was just like, I really hope they already played. Otherwise, we look like assholes. <laughs> uh, anyway, Black Goliath, number one, is uh, written by Tony Isabella, penciled by George Tusca, inked by Vince Coletta, colored by Michelle Wolfman, and inked by Gaspar Sal or lettered, sorry, I had an eye here for some reason, Gaspar Saladino and Irv Watanabe. Uh, so Bill Foster has moved to L.A., uh, he's walking around his old neighborhood in his superhero costume for whatever reason. Yeah, like a superhero uh, costume and like a trench coat. Yeah. Sure. Because that's, that's what you do when you're a superhero. It's that and trench coat all the way. Um, he is held up by the unluckiest gang members on Earth. Uh, who he beats the shit out of, and he he wraps one of them in a streetlight, which we find out shortly thereafter took like five hours to get him out of, uh, which just makes Bill like this huge dick. Yeah. Uh, I actually kind of like it. <laughs> um, but uh, he Bill is like not sure whether or not he should be a superhero or not. Uh, he is taking over uh, Stark's L.A. lab. Um, and uh, we're introduced to his team who are all kind of annoying. Uh, no, not kind of. Extremely. Super annoying. Except yeah. for... Well, uh, Talia is okay, yeah. and the, the one guy is like just kind of there he's passive just like the random fat guy but the but red dale guy is fucking awful uh but they try to show him this force field projector uh but it doesn't work out because if you feed too much energy in it then it shuts down um bill then reads about a rash of robberies occurring at libraries a string of robberies occurring at laboratories um and he's like well we've got some radium coming in so we're probably next uh, he decides to uh get into costume and wait at their warehouse and sure enough a bunch of goons led by some asshole named adam smasher uh break in and try to steal the radium foster deals with the goons in short order but then he gets blasted by adam smasher uh who then is just like yeah you shouldn't have taken me on blah 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 i can turn uh, myself into pure energy and it's like yeah you would like six other dudes in this yeah. universe i mean more than six surely i mean we've already living laser exists though i don't think he's quite become pure energy yet uh claw sure uh, like there's a lot there's a lot of them yeah um but whatever so foster gets his shit wrecked pushed in um yeah uh so black goliath number two written by chris claremont colored by phil rachelson and lettered by ray holloway we find out that uh nobody nobody is allowed to have an idea except chris claremont because uh so adam smasher nearly kills black goliath uh but bill wakes up and he's being uh nursed back to health by a woman named celia jackson 
and he's like, why did you help me? She's like, well, a superhero once saved my life. So they fuck. He leaves. <sighs> Am and I the, wrong? No, they definitely do. It's Yeah, I mean, weird. like, um, there's, a, there's a brief thing about them, like, leaning in to kiss, and then Bill, like, putting on his costume and leaving. Like, yeah, they fucked. Um, but, yeah, he's like, mask, I'll definitely. Like, what? he definitely left the mask on, too. Oh, like, yeah. Because she only refers to him as Goliath. Ever. And he he is, like, talking about uh, her finding out who he actually is. So, yeah, he totally kept the mask on. She She's a cape chaser. Let's That's, be real. Sure. Uh, but anyway, so they fuck. He leaves. Um, <clears throat> and he talks to his team and tells them that he needs a way to uh, trace Adam Smasher. There's a whole big thing about Talia not being able to figure it out, but then Dale shoots his mouth off, and she's like, oh my god, that's it! And they figure it out. It's a little handheld thing. There's also this box that's in yeah. the lab, and it's from Tony, and it's like, do not open without Tony Stark. Tony Stark's explicit... Express permission. Yeah. yeah. And otherwise, you will be fired. And yeah. so, there's this box. Yeah. Uh, but so Bill then goes after Adam Smasher. Um, he captures him in this thing he made to handle him. Uh, but then there's somebody watching who gets a kill order from the boss saying that anyone who threatens their, their operations should be dealt with, uh, regardless of who it is. So then Black Goliath number three starts. Uh, it is colored by Don Warfield and lettered by Karen Mantlow and Gaspar Saladino. Uh, I've started listing Gaspar Saladino second because whenever I find his name uh, as credited, he's usually uncredited in the books and does like the first page pages worth of lettering but he's always listed ahead of the other person who actually lettered the rest of the issue so i've now started putting him second because fuck it um so adam smasher then gets shot um black goliath goes after the guy but uh he gets away um suddenly his entire uh, body seizes up in pain and he's just like, I don't know what's going on. We do we do get a little bit of dialogue from the shooter and that's why we know it's Warhawk is because he keeps he keeps saying bah or whatever. It says, well, it says bow or it says B-O apostrophe. Yeah. And I, I assume that's supposed to be bah. Yeah. Rather than boy. Yeah. Uh, but it's dumb but yeah as soon as i saw it i'm like it's fucking warhawk and like i said the minute somebody other than chris claremont has an idea that character gets a bullet to the head um so dale is at work trying to cover for bill foster because he's not shown up tony is just like well if if he's not there when i call back maybe i need to reconsider who i have running my lab uh, Talia goes to leave. Um, there's a whole thing about her 
boyfriend, husband, whatever, Neil. Yeah, and she's got, not only that, she's got some dark past that she's trying to hide as well. Yeah. And, man, I don't care. Yeah, but some dudes in masks. Of the three of them, she's the only one I can stand, really, and I still don't care, which is weird. Anyway, yeah. Uh, So these dudes in masks try to rob the lab. Um, Dale tries to use the force field vest to uh, stop them. It gets hit with some energy, which causes it to overload. Uh, But Bill shows up and is able to pull it off of him and throw it into the air where it explodes harmlessly other than, I don't know, killing a few pigeons. But who cares? Um, so the the guys escape on a motorcycle uh, with the box that Tony had sent. Uh, Black Goliath goes after them, deals with all of the goons, but then this guy Vulcan shows up um, and drops a building on... Black Goliath, uh, a police officer or two die. Um, and then the box, which is now buried under the building, is now glowing. And they're just like, it almost seems alive. I, I don't care. I don't know what this is, this box, off the top of my head. And I'm okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm not in any rush to find out. Yeah. Uh, Inhumans number one, written by Doug Mensch, penciled by George Perez, yay, inked by Frank Chiaramonti, colored by Diane Bushima, and lettered by Annette Kuecki. There's several things that happen here. The The Inhuman royal family, uh, barring Crystal, is hanging out on a, hanging out on a balcony, just like thinking about what a great day it is, when, uh, when, what is his name? Stalior comes in and he's just like, Maximus is being weird. And they're like, well, yeah. And he's like, no, but weirder than usual. So Black Bolt goes down um, and Maximus is ranting about how the Somnotherm is going to do something and the Captoroids will rise and my master is blah, blah, blah. Um, so Black Bolt zaps him and <laughs> makes him go to sleep. So they go back up to the throne room, at which point the you know, they're doing their audiences, and this woman named Aridia comes in and she's like, I'm ugly. I'm tired of being ugly and in pain. Please let me undergo terragenesis. And Gorgon is just like, No, this is stupid. We have rules. And but Black Bolt agrees to let her undergo terogenesis so they put her in the tube and uh start pumping it in yeah they uh, pump in as much terogen mist as they can basically displacing all of the oxygen in the tube because she starts like flipping out like she's suffocating yeah and even medusa's like uh babe uh, yeah, seems like this is a bit much. And Black Bolt's Black Bolt stoic, and uh, just lets it happen. And when the mist falls away, uh, cocoon. Well, yeah, 
big stone thing, all the rest of the royal family is like, hardcore, man, because they think he killed her. Like, yeah. she died. And... Yeah. Damn. Like, even Gorgon is like, I mean, I didn't think this was a good idea, but Jesus. Uh, oh, man. Which kind of yeah. says to me that the this isn't... I thought this is kind of the way that it always worked. Because, like, on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., anytime anybody got exposed to the mists, they basically got covered in stone and then broke out of the stone as new people. And, and that's how it was in... Uh, following the... Uh, what am I trying to say? Inhumans versus... Or following Infinity when the Terrigen Mists were released... Sure. ...across the world... It was the same thing. Like, there were cocoons. But in in the original, like, Paul Jenkins run, uh, it wasn't. You just went in the tube, and then you came out. Okay. But, sorry. No. I, I, the reason I bring it up is because it is weird. Or it was weird to me that the, royal fam- the rest of the family was like... Oh no, you killed her. Like, because I thought this is just what happened. And oh no, I guess it's not. Alright, fine. Moving yeah. on. I I think there's something to do with so after the Terrigen crystals were stolen by uh Pietro in decimation, uh that's gotta have something to do with it. Maybe they were altered and the cocoon thing just became normal. I really don't know. But prior to that, I don't recall there ever being cocoons. It was just you went in the tube, there were mists, and then once the mists cleared, they saw what you were. Ah. But I, I don't know. So Throughout uh, they're all, all like, of this, oh. uh, we have to remember that there was a meteor that came to Earth, landed in the Atlantic Ocean uh, with enough force that it broke open Blastar's adamantium uh, tomb. And if you'll recall, and I was actually irritated that I did recall, uh, Johnny and Hulk, the last time we saw Blastar, it was Johnny and Hulk fighting him in a, like an adamantium forge or something. And... So, Hulk wrapped Blastar in a in an adamantium uh, ball. Ball. Johnny superheated the shit out of it, and then Hulk threw it into the ocean. Uh, good. Bye. <laughs> and <laughs> Blastar sucks. Uh, but he got so yeah. The meteor hits Blastar. He's free, and now he's ranting and raving about the Somnitherm as well. And uh, blasts himself and starts heading for the Great Refuge. He arrives, beats the crap out of this uh, inhuman with wings named Avius. And they really just... Avius falls down and Lioness, who's a lion, uh, comes up and is like, Holy shit, what happened? Like, they don't, they don't work too hard on the names when, uh, when you're not a member of the royal family. Right. And... So they're like, holy shit, we gotta get to Black Bolt. Okay, go to Black Bolt. So they, we, after they do the thing with Iridia, this thing bursts up into the throne room and they're like, what the fuck is this? And one of them's like, is this like 
scheduled to happen when you abuse the Terrigen Mists. And I just wanted Black Bolt to, like, turn around and give him the thunder. <laughs> but, uh, but no. So, uh, so Blastar. So, here's the thing. Leonis and Avius show up and they're like, a dude's coming and he's really strong and he kicked our asses. And, uh, Gorgon is like, why should we believe you? You have both worked for Maximus in the past. Maybe this is obviously a trick. And it's just like, then who the fuck put him on border control? Right. Like if you, if these are guys you can't trust that you think are going to like betray you at a moment's notice, give them a job that doesn't fucking matter. Like, Put them in payroll. Put them in HR. Who gives it? Like, I'm not saying HR and payroll don't matter, but I'm just saying, like, give them one that it does not rely upon, like, operational security. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you don't give them a, you don't give them a position where anything you tell, anything they tell you, you're just like, yeah, but can I believe you? No, you need to believe the guys. Uh, Black Bolt grabs, or after the thing bursts out of the floor, Black Bolt looks down the hole that it came through and is like, well, that's weird. He grabs Triton. They go to the Infinity Fountain or whatever the hell it is. Uh, bottomless. It's a bottomless fountain. And they start swimming down. Everybody <laughs> yeah. shows up. Blastar shows up and kicks the shit out of Gorgon, Kar- Karnak, and Medusa. Um, well, yeah, they're they're they go out to meet him on like a sky sled, and they try to Medusa tries to grab a hold of him, but she pulls him off the sky sled, and then blasts her so she falls off. Gorgon and Karnak try to catch her and manage to do it, but they're too low, and they crash into a wall. Yeah, and we lay we leave off with. Uh, with them being like, are they dead? We don't know. Um, and again, this is one of those things that other than uh, other than it being George Perez art, I really any excitement I had about Inhumans was kind of killed by their last few appearances that were just so annoying that and this issue doesn't do a lot but yeah to to help that but it's it, it is consistent and it's goofy and it is yeah fun it's way more fun than the last few it's not a lot of fun but it's way more fun than any of the morbius stuff and at least at least gorgon's here <laughs> right okay i i like gorgon i like him when i like when we get to hang out with Gorgon, and he's just kind of an abrasive ass, right? Fair enough. Um, Kar- and there's not enough Karnak in this. Karnak doesn't get cool until you let Warren Ellis write him, and then he's awesome. You well, sh- Karnak Karnak doesn't even come off very well in this, but we'll get <laughs> we'll get to that. Um, right. So, uh, Inhumans number two is inked by Fred Keita. Colored by Janice Cohen and lettered by Tom Orzakowski. Uh, Black Bolt and Triton head down into this play, into this 
they reach the bottom of the thing and come out into this cavern where there is like uh just bones just bones everywhere um and they're they are confused and disturbed obviously um Blastar goes into the throne room and grabs the gong. We forgot to mention that there's whenever there's he has a gong. yeah, whenever Blackbolt has audience, there's a giant gong that somebody special gets to hit to announce that we're now ha- taking supplicants. Um, and Blastar grabs grabs the gong off the wall, fits it into the thing that came out of the wall out of the ground the somnotherm and then we find out that that's actually the somnotherm now i it is actually kind of cool the way that they that this is drawn like the way this is presented is kind of neat because he yeah. blasts the gong as it's positioned in the th- somnotherm and then we get to watch the energy travel all the way down until it hits these five eggs that are suspended above the molten core of the earth. Um, I, I think they all yeah. are four, and they fall into the into the molten core of the earth, uh, and then hatch. We don't really get to see that, and then big digger claws begin digging their way out. That part's right. every that part's cool. Like the procedure of how that works, neat. Uh, now. So, uh, Karnak, Gorgon, and Medusa come to and head to the, head to the, um, throne room. Throne room. Yeah. Uh, we find out in the course of all of this, that this was all set up by the Kree, uh, because they were just like, eventually we may need a way to destroy the Inhumans. Uh, so, Blastar is just like, you know what? I've done my part. I'm out. And he just takes off. Um, Karnak. Okay, so Black Bolt and Triton are in this cavern when one of the captoroids digs its way up. And uh, they realize that the, the chest of it appears to be like some sort of container. Uh, and the implication of all of this is the captoroids are going to scoop up people, toss them down its gullet. It'll wind up in its stomach and just be held there until it dies. Um, but Black Bolt lets loose, destroys this captoroid. The rest make their way up, um, and are scooping up inhumans and scarfing them down. So... Yeah, They're I like, just realized, man, the career fucked up. Like, yeah, like this is the weird, horrible way to kill people. Like, yeah, ju- not it's not just ju- a nuke. Yeah, <laughs> like, like, like you couldn't just, you couldn't just have the somnotherm or whatever open up and swallow Adelan into the molten core of the earth. Like that would have taken care of your problem. No, 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 no. Hold on, Dave, Dave Lar. Um, <laughs> you did. motherfucker! <laughs> that was the dumbest thing I've said on the show. <laughs> um, hold on, the, 
That yeah, that is the dumbest thing said on the show, and that's that's a high bar. Oh, it really is. Uh, I'm I'm happy I was here, uh, and I'm the one that's. Anyway, we don't need to recount the dumb things that I've said on the show. Uh, You're not the only one. I've said plenty of dumb shit. Okay. But anyway, uh, but hold on. What if we make four giant robots? That we can trap them, that we can get them to trap the the, the, the Inhumans inside. Uh, and then what? Oh, then they just starve. That's your plan? <laughs> Holy shit, Bob Lar. Even, even, <laughs> even Eli, god damn it. Even Eli Roth would look at that and be like, no, that's too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, so... The Inhumans are trying to find out, figure out how to stop these things, and they're like, "What if we destroy the Somnotherm?" Uh, Karnak starts looking around, and he can't find a weakness. And this is why I say Karnak doesn't look real great in this, is because his one thing is finding the weakness in something. He can't find it. At which point, Triton's like, "What if you smash the gong?" And Triton's like, or and Karnak's just like, "Holy." fuck you're right and smashes it at which point the captoroids just like collapse yeah so they were i guess being powered by the resonance off of the somnotherm or something it really doesn't it matter it doesn't um at all uh the so, epilogue is actually kind of cool because we find out that uh they're all rebuilding and freeing in humans that were scarfed um, and, uh, Iridia has a really good name for her because she comes out of her, uh, cocoon as a beautiful bu- butterfly lady with iridescent wings. It's, yeah. uh, I, I don't know. I don't hate that. Yeah. It also makes like, oh, Sort of reminds you that everybody that for a hot minute there, everybody thought Black Bolt was a stone cold murderer and he knew what he was doing the whole time. It's kind of nice. Did he though? I don't know. I mean, maybe. I I, like. Look, man, the Saladin Ahmed Black Bolt run is awesome and I will have nothing tarnishing that version of Black Bolt in my (laughs) mind. (laughs) Fair enough. I'm just saying, I, I like. I like the idea of uh, of Black Bolt coming into that room and she bursts out and he's just like, oh, <laughs> yay. Well, and his brain just being like, huh, okay. I mean, not, not what I thought was going to happen. Good to know. Yeah. Uh, so, moving on. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 147 is written by Jerry Conway, penciled by Ross Andrew, inked by Mike Esposito and Dave Hunt, colored by Stan Goldberg, and lettered by Joe Rosen. Um, So, uh, Peter's back in New York. He he catches a ride on a helicopter from the airport and uh, swings by the bugle. and he goes in and Jonah's just like, what do you mean you don't have any pictures? You piece of shit. And it had been <laughs> and, so long since we read Spider-Man that I was like, wait, where was he? Oh, yeah, he was yeah. in Florida. Yeah, it right. was it was him and the lizard and man thing versus lizard. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, so Jonah is pissed because he doesn't because they paid for this trip to Florida and Peter returned without any pictures, which that's fair. Like I know they I know they on a they regularly make Jonah out to be like a hard ass. This is one of the few instances where I'm just like, no, that's that's kind of fair. Like he paid for your trip to go and take pictures of man thing and you returned without pictures of man thing. Like that's an okay thing to be pissed off about. Right. But, um, Peter leaves Jonah, goes back out in the like office bullpen area and Ned stops him and is like, Hey, so about Gwen, I took her to a doctor and I've got the report back, but I think you need to read it for yourself it's mm-hmm. it's a you better take it look take a look at this cliche and yeah meanwhile back in prison some idiot decided <laughs> to let tarantula work in the not only the shoe shop but also the machine shop this is the one guy you don't let that he gets sewing needles only and actually not even that i don't know what you get him to he'd do he'd put him he'd put him in his shoes and make pointy shoes exactly he definitely would so he builds himself in prison a new set of tarantula pointy shoes cuz that's his that's his steez and pointy shoes <laughs> and proceeds to murder a couple of guards and break out of prison he drops from the prison wall onto a van uh, and inside the van is the jackal. Yeah. And at this point, okay, so I have feelings about these issues. Because at this point, I was like, God damn it, I don't care about the jackal. Like, I'm tired of this bullshit. Let's move on. All right. I, I kind of want that said up front because I do a complete fucking 180 on that um, by the end of these two issues. Mm-hmm. Cut back to the hospital. Uh, Aunt May, not dead. Peter, not there as she's released because Peter's a terrible nephew. And what's her name? And what's her what? What is her name? Watson. Uh, it's Anna Watson. Anna Watson and Mary Jane are taking her home. Anna goes to get the car. Mary Jane sits down with uh, May, and May's like, "How are you?" Are you and Peter a thing? You should be a thing by now. Because, <laughs> Jesus Christ, even I can see it. And Mary Jane's like, well, I mean, we were. Maybe. Definitely. And then Gwen showed up out of nowhere and fucking ruined it. And May's like, huh. So Gwen's alive then. I think she knew. Yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if she did. <laughs> because, yeah, her reaction here is just kind of like, huh? You like, should, you, uh, no, she knew because she saw Gwen and fainted, and that's why she was in the hospital. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And okay. So anyway, Mary, her Aunt May just like lays it out. Like yeah. Aunt May's rad in this because she just puts it down for Mary Jane and is like, "Look, um, I think you two ki- you two kids are cute. My nephew is a bit of a pain in the ass, clearly." And if you want him, if you want to corner or if you want him, you're probably going to have to corner him on this. And Mary Jane's like, okay, cool. Uh, thanks. 
did May. I I <laughs> I really like this because she's like, wow, you know, you really have your 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 life together, and and May's like, well, at this point, I would hope so. <laughs> and, but uh, so uh, so he Peter is swinging around, having read the report. And uh, it says that Gwen Stacy is a clone. And he's like, oh, God, like, if she's a clone, like, maybe there's more of her out there. Um, And he, you know, honestly, he takes this really well. Well, yeah, I mean, his initial like like, is, oh, shit. Oh, no, there could be more. That wouldn't be good. And, like, they figured out somehow, like, this clone was made from the Gwen that right before she died. So, like, this Gwen doesn't even remember any of that. She barely remembers anything before that, but she definitely doesn't remember the dying part. Which... Okay. But yeah, I feel like he takes it really, really well that there's a clone, and that clones exist. That clones are a thing, and that they also have memory replicating technology that they can just do that with, um, and clones. Which yeah, that's that's my biggest. Oh yeah. Thing is like, assuming the clones' memories end at the point at which the sample was taken, like. How? I don't know. Whatever. It's very uh, Dune clones. I I don't know. But uh, so he sees he thinks he sees Gwen's reflection in this mirror. So he kind of flips out and smashes some stuff. And the police show up and they're like, "Hey, you can't do that." And Spider Man's like, "Yeah, you're right. But fuck you. I'm Spider Man. I'm out." But Suddenly, he's attacked by Tarantula. Uh, Tarantula kind of leads him on a little chase, at which point uh, they fight in this city bus. Um, As they're fighting, the the bus driver is just like, next stop, Queens Avenue, or whatever. (laughs) Like, fuck, I don't know. Uh, But... At one point, he stops and Gwen gets on the bus, but she's acting really spacey. Yeah. And Peter's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this bus driver's being really weird. Gwen is here, but she's being really weird. The bus driver then unmasks, and it's Jackal. Um, And honestly, it's like, I really liked the the May-Mary Jade conversation, but this fight, everything moving on from this fight, because it's so goddamn weird... Like, I'm as confused as Peter is, is where I start turning around on this story in general. Because I actually, the Tarantula fight's actually good. Um, It's really kinetic and feels, a lot of motion, it feels good. The fact that Tarantula is good enough to not kill him, not get his own ass kicked, and end up in the bus like is the plan, actually works for me. Um, Jackal's reveal is good or Gwen getting on the bus totally spaced out is like what it, what the fuck is going on um, yeah <clears throat> and and then the jackal reveal and you go oh shit 
Okay. Well, and everyone everyone else on this bus is reacting appropriately. Yeah, um, which is two super people are fighting each other in a bus. Please let me out now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the only people acting like this is nothing are the bus driver and Gwen. And so, yeah, it would be a really trippy experience to be in that situation. And, like, everybody else is reacting the way you'd expect. And then this bus driver is just like, please move to the back of the bus. Like, uh, it kind of reminds me of the robotic driver from, uh, was it Total Recall? Probably. The one that was, like, built into the cab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like, so, how's your day going? Yeah. Um... But yeah, so uh, Tarantula managed manages to make contact with his pointy shoes uh, and uh, knocks Spider-Man out. When Spider-Man comes to, he's on the Brooklyn Bridge uh, or George Washington Bridge, whatever. They've they've gone back and forth. Um, where Gwen died. Um, so you find out Jackal is like gloating about how he created the clone of Gwen Stacy. Uh, he, because he wants to destroy Spider-Man, who he blames for Gwen's death. Um, and at this point in time, we have no idea why the Jackal is so angry about that. Um, not that it really gets better once you find out who he is, but uh, no. anyway, um, yeah. So he's like out to destroy Spider-Man because of that. He take he has Tarantula uh, shove him off the bridge, and so we're left with Spider-Man ostensibly falling to his death. Uh, so I think we can knock out the last issue. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 148 is inked by Frank Giacoya and Dave Hunt, colored by Petra Goldberg and lettered by John Costanza. Uh, Spider-Man is bound and he tries to shoot a web line, but it it isn't able to grab hold of anything. Um, But then as he gets below the actual suspension part of the bridge, he manages to do so, at which point it swings him into the support and he's uh, momentarily knocked out. Yeah. Um, At this point, a police boat comes up underneath and the police take him. They, uh, they attempt to bring him to the shore where a bunch of reporters and the like are waiting how this worked out so i don't know if the jackal set this up like i i don't know right how there are all these reporters that f- so quickly i don't know well but, because they've already like the cops have been back at the bridge the cops have been yelling at the the jackal and tarantula on top of there to oh, get right, fucking right. down you weirdos um, yeah and tarantula is like hey gwen could you take off your jacket and Gwen does, and she's got a disassembled jetpack. Yeah, hidden in her jacket with the propellant in her bag, and she is space, like 
this whole time. Like, there is yeah. nothing behind them, those eyes. Tarantula puts on the jetpack. They all wing away. Yeah. Um, um, this, yeah. this police officer uh, that is heading up the boat crew uh, is really excited about the whole thing. They're like, should we unmask him? And he's like, no, no. When we arrive, when we get to shore, there will be reporters waiting. We should make this an event. And he's like, there's a captaincy in this and all this. Uh, but he he makes the mistake of being like, take him out of those chains. Um, and he gets ready with the cuffs. But before he has a chance to do anything, um, Spider-Man breaks free and escapes. Uh, this cop is then berated by the chief of police. Uh, and we as readers, of course, are just like, good, fuck you, dude. Right. Um, but uh, Peter goes back to his apartment and Mary Jane is there. She. So she is trying to talk to him and being like, hey, so what's going on? Like, you've completely ghosted me. Uh are you too busy hanging out with Gwen now that she's back? And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. And she's like, so what's it going to be? I mean, we were, we were starting to be a thing and now we're just not. So you need to make up your mind what we're, and he's just like, sounds good. She of course has no way of knowing that he's in a complete state of shock. Um, and I think when it's all said and done, if she finds out, It'll make a lot more sense. Uh, but yeah. So Peter goes into his apartment and shuts the door and she's just like, uh, all right, fuck you then. And uh, once he's inside, he's just like, oh, my God, what have I what have I done? And opens the door. But she's already gone. Right. Um, so he goes inside and jumps in the shower and. Is interrupted when Ned Leeds shows up. Um, so he and Ned start talking about um, this Gwen clone and trying to figure out who would have had who would have had the ability to collect a gene sample from uh, from Gwen, and there. Um, they're, as they're talking about it, Peter realizes that at one point in class, uh, they had samples collected, uh, by, uh, Professor Warren. So they rush out the door. Peter's like, oh, maybe I better put on some clothes first. Um, so he runs inside. They head to the... They head to the campus. When class is getting out, they approach Dr. Warren and they're like, hey, uh, there's a weird thing going on. Warren is initially just like, oh, hey, what are you doing here? Um, But he tells them, well, you know, at the time uh, I had this assistant named Anthony Serba um, and... uh, I don't know. He was just, he was a weird dude. And then he just disappeared on me. Um, So they go off looking for Serba. Peter changes into Spider-Man and goes to this, the guy's last known address. 
Um, he gets there. It's it's an old factory, and he comes inside. There's no furnishings or anything else. There's just tarantula, and <laughs> they fight. Um, no, I don't know and, why. It just struck me funny the way you put it. There's no furnishings, just tarantula. <laughs> yeah, he's just there lay, lying in wait. Uh, and they they go on this rambling sort of fight that takes them across the rooftops. And uh, what winds up happening is Tarantula goes to attack, misses with his pointy shoes, and... Uh, puts a hole in a water tower which causes him to get sprayed all the shit um, and knocked out Uh, so Peter takes Tarantula and is about to take him to the authorities when he's knocked out Um, he comes to and the jackal is there so is the clone of Gwen Stacy uh, and Ned Leeds is there bound and like gagged and everything um, and the jackal is gloating, you know, being all, hey, you had no idea, uh, takes off his mask and it turns out the jackal is Miles Warren, which anyone who read it, Spider-Man in the nineties knows. Yeah. Uh, but. All right. I, okay. So I realized that I liked the first issue of this a lot better than I liked the second, but that's okay. I think this is still what I was saying, I think on the break is given these two issues, I can understand why somebody in the nineties thought that the clone saga was a good idea. Right. Because I'm enjoying the shit out of this. Mm -hmm. Um, I am really happy to be reading, reading Spider-Man and it may not just, it may be a little bit of like recency bias because of the rest of the stuff we went through. Uh, well, right. But like, I feel like I felt like these two, two issues were, really good and i was excited to like i'm excited to find out where we go from here yeah well so. you know the the thing i will say is the original clone saga which is to say the clone saga as it was in the 70s isn't awful it's it's an interesting little like am i the real spider-man or are you the real spider-man who's the real spider-man uh, and then it's resolved in fairly short order and blah. Um, what we get later on is just a fucking mess. Um, but yeah, so uh, the one thing I I will say is so Serba. I don't know when you find this out, but Serba uh, was murdered. Uh, it was actually like. Serba gets murdered by Dr. Warren and uh, but later on later on during all of the Clone Saga stuff during the 90s there's a whole thing about is human cloning actually possible blah 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 and so there's a brief there's a brief aside where it seems like Warren had not actually managed to make real clones. What he'd managed to do was engineer a virus that would turn the person turn a person into 
whoever the virus was designed to turn them into. And so Serba may or may not have actually become either Ben Riley or Peter Parker. But then that whole thing was debunked. So for a while there, it was like, I may or may not be Anthony Serba. And are you? Am I? Um, but that gets dropped. So, yeah, this is basically, that's basically everything you need to know about Serba is he's already dead. Um, <laughs> but whatever. So, uh, top five. Top five. The Watcher's Guide's Top Five. Top Five. All right, for me, number five is uh, Faustus getting blown out a window. Because A, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, and B, it was hilarious. Um, just the panel, the actual panel of him flying through the air having been ejected <laughs> is hysterical because he's got this look on his face like oh no Um, (laughs) it isn't abject horror it's just oh no um number four uh lots of lots of people getting pulled off of things in the air this week and the panel of medusa medusa's face as she's getting pulled off the sky sled by Blastar because she attached her hair to his ankle. There's just also, ah, holy shit. Like, it's real. I don't know what she expected to happen. What did any of them expect to happen? He was yeah. going way faster and they were going in the other way. Like, this is the way physics works, guys. Um, number three, uh, Dale being crushed, almost being crushed by his own hubris. Because, <laughs> A, fuck that guy. He was annoying and kind of a piece of shit. Um, and B, to be almost crushed by your own force field generator because it was Im- it was imploding, right? Like, they'd added enough yeah. energy to it, and he had modified it sometime in between that uh, it began contracting. And, uh, you know, if he would have turned into a paste inside his own uh, body shield, that would have been okay with me. But, no, they save him instead. Uh, number two here is just Black Goliath in general, like, as a book. Because I really kind of thought that was going to be also difficult to read. Um, but it turned out way better. Like, I thought, uh, Bill Foster got a lot more, uh, as a character, like, definition as a character in this book than I feel like he'd had any of the other times that i'd seen him like the last time we saw him before this was in was in uh power man and it he was not a sympathetic character yeah you find out even that he was lying about being stuck at giant size in that issue and yeah he was kind of a jerk um so that and a a very two-dimensional sort of dick and in this like he's got conflict between his he's got inner conflict between wanting to be an actual like good superhero and proving it to himself and as well as uh claire in his or his perception of claire that he is actually a decent person and a good superhero and but on the can he do that and be head of tony stark's uh 
LA lab at the same time, and if only he knew. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I liked it. I enjoyed that book enough that I, based on my preconceptions, that I, I wanted to include it and talk about it a little more. Um, and then number one... Which is why it's a pity it only goes to issue five. Well, yeah. Excuse me. They only... They only take what I like. Um, Aunt May laying it down on Mary Jane. That was my yeah. number one because that conversation was rad. Uh, Mary Jane... Aunt May never... Aunt May doesn't get to be this... Like, in control that often. Um, yeah. So it's Not really, until way later. It's really uh, nice to see her... A, exert some self... Like, she is in charge of this situation. Um, and also be like, I mean, I didn't always used to be 110 years old. <laughs> like, I know how things work. I'm not dumb. And Mary Jane being like... And actually, you know, it's a it's a kind of a credit to Mary Jane's character as well that she doesn't just act like, oh my god, you, no, you're just real old. Like, she actually realizes that there is a person here. And yeah. she has experiences that are... that could be informative. Valid. And valid. And <laughs> could be informative to the way that she moves her life forward. Mary Jane does a really good job. Like, just the character... It's a two-page conversation, if... And the characterization for both of them is fantastic. So, yeah. I... I really wanted... Yeah, that's my number one. Okay. Well, uh, I have a... I have an honorable mention for Shang-Chi at the beginning of Master of Kung Fu number 28 where it's just kind of like, dude it's just an arcade tone it down a little bit I mean, there are flashing lights I know, but like it's just it's just people playing games, calm the fuck down. Well, also like, you uh, were being bred to be an international assassin like, you've seen this yeah. shit before Yeah Um, so uh, number five is Peter being in shock, uh, because his, his behavior in that interaction with the Mary Jane was shitty, but like you totally, you totally as the reader and as someone who knows what's going on, you're like, yeah, totally. Like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, <clears throat> and, uh. So yeah, uh, <laughs> number uh, number four is the hostess ad with Nitro and Captain Marvel, and I know here's the thing, I know if you go enough far enough forward that all of these hostess ads eventually become horrifying. Because it's like, if you see, like, Batman and Robin taking down the Joker with hostess ads, you're just like, well, is that the Robin the Joker killed? Or, like, you know, <laughs> shit like that. But this one is different because the thing that kills Captain Marvel has already occurred. Yep. Like, it's underway. Captain Marvel is dying as we speak. <laughs> and we are taking we are taking down the guy who inadvertently killed him with fruit pie. <laughs> I just, this one more than any other, 
uh, I just find hilarious. Um, but yeah, so uh, number three is the war, the Miles Warren reveal. Um, because I feel like at this point in time, if you knew nothing about what was coming, the reveal with Miles Warren would just be like, but why? Like, what it, why, why did you care so much? Why are you so intent on vengeance? And then you find out and it's just like, ew. Yeah, it doesn't, um, it doesn't get better. It's still gross. Yeah. And, but at least it makes sense. I don't know. At the end of this, you're very like, we picked a, a decent place, like a good cliffhanger kind of ending for the week. Right. Like it broke nicely because... You, he pulls the mask off and you're just like what yeah because <laughs> miles warren has appeared like very little over the course of this he's never been you know it's not like it's not like a situation where a supposed mentor winds up becoming the villain the big villain yeah or something like that miles warren is barely in the issues preceding this he's just kind of there and he's always just in the background. It's always like, you know, whatever drama Peter is undergoing. And then it's just like, Peter, you know, you're not doing very well in class. You need to get that together. And it's like, okay, Professor Warren, bye. You know, right. that's it. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, it turns out that this dude is the mastermind behind all this bullshit. And it's just like, what? No, <laughs> like, but like yeah. I think that if if you had the floppies, right? If you as a kid you you got to this and you were like, it's fucking Professor Warren, holy shit, what? And then go grab your back issues of of Spider Man, like furiously going through like the last fifty, and you would start seeing and you'd be like, Warren's been really weird. Now that I look at yeah. it, like he has well, been yeah. kind of strange throughout the entire run. Um, wow. Okay. Huh. Yeah. And that's across yeah, but several it's, different it's writers. Not, it's not necessarily the kind of thing you twig to. No. As you're reading it at you all. Know, it, it's just the kind of thing that it's like, eh, whatever. He's a weird old dude. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. So uh, number two is like you said, the, the conversation between MJ and Aunt May. Uh, yeah. And May later on becomes like a force of nature, but at this point in time, Aunt May is just a frail old lady whose purpose is to make Peter worry. And this is the first time she really gets one of those moments where it's just kind of like, let me tell you how it is. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I really like it. Um, and then number one for me was the bus fight. Um Oh yeah, I should have had tarantula. That. Tarantula was actually kind of a worthy adversary in these issues, which we haven't. He's always been just kind of like you know. I mean, he re he refers to himself as having been meant to be his country's Captain America, um, but this is the first time you get any indication that that's actually maybe true, right? Um, so there's that there's 
Jackal's behavior when he's posing as the bus driver, Gwen's behavior, just the whole thing is so fucking crazy. Yeah. Um, The sequence is really well put together because every time you get used to some, like, okay, we're fighting Tarantula now, and now we're in this bus, and things are fucking weird in this bus like the bus driver is mm-hmm. strange and but he's still fighting and then like every time you get used to something strange something weirder happens and yeah. it's really cool that they're able to go because by the end of that sequence when it spider-man screws up and gets stung and it makes sense like he's yeah you would definitely be off your fucking game by now um right it's, yeah, no, no chance. And that was that was a sequence that I don't think it would have worked as well had they not given it time to breathe. Right. Um, you know, it it played out the way it needed to, rather than just being like, "Come on, let's get to where Spider Man's been captured." Like mm-hmm. it was, it was the length it needed to be, and developed the way it needed to. So, um, but yeah, so. Uh, next week we have the last two issues of Black Goliath, two issues of Marvel Team Up, uh, several of Amazing Spider-Man, and then a run of Avengers. So next week's looking like it might be pretty decent. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but in the meantime, uh, like us on Facebook, follow us both individually and at Watcher's Guide MU, um, email us i always get hung up on that email us at watchersguide at gmail.com or visit our website at watchersguide.com that is it for us this week and uh have a marvelous week bye